You're listening to Uncommentary, the home of conversations and clarity. I'm your host, Marty Duran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Uncommentary. This is Marty, and we're doing a live-ish uh, intro this week, and maybe forever. I don't know. I haven't decided yet, but I did want to give you an update on some things that were happening with me and uh, related to the podcast, which I hope you'll find uh, encouraging and uh, beneficial. So first, thanks for everyone who has been listening and for everyone who has been supporting via Patreon uh, and people who have recently been leaving reviews. Man, that's awesome. I bopped over into Apple Podcasts this morning and found some reviews that I hadn't seen yet, and they're just very, very gracious uh, and encouraging me to keep going. So if you haven't left a rating or a review in your favorite podcatcher, then uh, I really hope that you'll do that. It really helps. They tell me uh, I'm not an expert in these things, but they tell me that it helps with search results and stuff like that when people are looking for specific topics. So uh, if you would do that, that would be super helpful. In fact, if you need to pause it right now, go ahead and do that. That'd be great. Um, if this ends up being on YouTube and you would go ahead and subscribe. That would be nice too. Uh, by the way, I'm working toward getting the video portions of these uh, podcasts onto my YouTube channel. So that'll be coming up soon. And I hope you are prepared for that. But the big news, the big news is uh, I'm changing jobs. My full-time job is not going to be uh, with an employer any longer. Starting at the end of July, I'm going out on my own doing freelance writing and content creation. So beginning in August, technically, uh, but July, practically, uh, Uncommentary will be part of a family of things that I do to make a living. So if you've been on the fence about uh, supporting financially, I hope that you will fall off on the side that is for support and not on the side that is not for support. Uh, I realize as of this recording, we are uh, in, the, in the throes of inflation and gas is a million dollars a gallon and stuff, and, and it isn't easy. So uh, for those of you who are continuing to support the podcast, I am super grateful because I know it is a cost uh, in the literal sense these days. But if, you're, uh, if you've got some spare cash laying around or if you can walk to the grocery store rather than drive once a month, then uh, put that five bucks toward uncommentary and that would be super helpful. No longer will I just be taking my wife out for an occasional meal with the expense money from uncommentary, I might be making my house payment <laughs> with some of the expense money from uncommentary. So thanks so much for listening and supporting. And uh, there may be more about that a little later on, but uh, right now we're going to be talking to a longtime friend and a good friend. And at one time he was actually a podcast co-host with me at a uh, podcast that I had in a former life. And we teamed up for a few episodes uh, do you remember that when I got the logo redone for the podcast, the dude spelled your name wrong and you didn't even catch it it's, and it went live? <laughs> I do remember that. I also remember that, that that you were supposed to get us invited to talk in Australia. And that's not happened yet. I don't know what that's about. Uh, oh, that probably had something to do with our former boss. That's probably yes. how that connection was. Yeah, I didn't even get the invite to go to Australia. I'm not even sure he got the invite to go to Australia. Well, we would have been awesome. In we would have been, we'd, we would have been awesome, mate. We'd have been great down great. under. That's for sure. Uh, so Bob Smetana is a longtime friend, uh, former coworker as well. We spent some time together, uh, at a local publisher here in the Nash. So, um, nobody calls it that by the way. Uh, it's Nashville or Nash Vegas. A lot of people do say Nash Vegas. 
but Bob is a religion reporter and he's worked for a number of um, well-known. So he's not just a guy with a blog writing about uh, his devotional time. He's a guy who writes about religion on the national and international scale and has a tremendous interest in it. In fact, if you ever get in a conversation with him, he's going to bring up some weird religion angle on something and just ask, what do you think about that? Uh, he's had more, he's had multiple stories that he's written. And I know go viral is a weird thing to say these days, since we're way into the backside of that phrase, uh, but get really popular, uh, award-winning journalist, uh, who's broke stories reported in depth on a lot of stories. Um, when we talk about religion reporting, in the United States, if we're going to talk about somebody who's been at it for a long time and who has made a difference, then one of the people that we're going to talk about is Bob Smetana. So, Bob Smetana, welcome to Uncommentary. Glad to be here, and I hope I can live up to that introduction. Well, you won't be able to, but I just wanted to do it anyway. So, you're uh, you're currently somewhere around uh, Chicago now, is that right? You moved away yeah, from us? We're in, we're in Woodstock, Illinois, which is about an hour outside the city. It's the uh, uh, place where Groundhog Day was filmed. Okay. Yeah. I think I just read that part in your book. Uh, most famous for being, I, mean, I love that movie. I hated it the first time I ever saw it, but after that I loved it and I, I can't uh, get enough uh, of it. Anymore. Almost every day. If I go driving, I drive by the, the bread and breakfast where Bill Murray's character stays. Oh, that's awesome, man. Or, Orson awesome. Welles is from here also. So there we go. So do they play Jeopardy out on the front lawn and everybody knows all the answers already? No. At the bed that. and breakfast. Um, so you, uh, you have written more than one book. Uh, I think I actually have a copy of your other book somewhere around the house. Uh, but you have a new book coming out in a month or so from now that we're recording, uh, reorganized religion, I think is the name of it. Is that right? Yep. All right. So, uh, you're a religion reporter. You've been writing about this stuff for a long time, um, at both the denominational level and at the, what I would call the secular national level. Mm -hmm. So you've written for denominational press and you've written for, uh, regular newspapers and, and news outlets and stuff like that. Um, what's this book about? Are you trying to reorganize religion? No, it's really about how it's being reorganized. And I, and I really got the idea. Two things happened. I had been writing about, um, disaster relief and, and there'd been a hurricane or tornado somewhere. And mm -hmm. I called some faith-based groups that were, um, you know, doing relief work. They were cleaning mm -hmm. up, they were cooking meals for people, they were giving people shelter. Get off the phone, and then I open up my email, and there's another report on the rise of the so-called nuns, who are the mm. people who have no religious background and aren't interested in organized religion. Right. And I think something clicked in my head that, now, wait a sec, all these, when there's a tornado or disaster, you know, mostly faith-based groups, mostly older white Christian folks show up, and they, uh, they do all kinds of work. And we rely on that. And so what happens when they're all gone, when they're older, too old to volunteer, they died off, mm -hmm. and there's no young people there to replace them? We're going to have some problems. Yeah. So that really started me thinking about I've been covering the, the religious um, religion for about 20 years, actually 22 years now. And it made me just think about all the changes going on in the religious um, landscape and the way that we... Uh, you know, sometimes the response to the decline of organized religion is either good riddance or those weren't real Christians anyway, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And I don't think a lot of us realize how much religion touches our life, the organized part, the, yeah. the church schools and the church food pantries and the 
gym programs mm-hmm. and the camps and the hospitals and the disaster relief. And if those all went away, we'd be in a world of hurt. Mm. Um, so a lot of people who know you probably uh, have read a lot of your stuff. And, and there is a sense because all journalists tend to be critics, not in the super negative sense, but most stories end up being critiques of something. Uh, mm-hmm. th- there's a lot of stories that are just, here's, here's the news. But then there's a lot of stories, especially on the investigative journalism side, where you're looking for a story that hasn't been told. And often that story turns out to be negative. So um, some people, when they see that you've written a book, might think, okay, this is just going to be, you know, some ex-evangelical take on religion in America. And uh, I mean, I'm into chapter two and it's not anything like that. And you promise in the book in chapter two, you say the bad news is coming later. But you start off with a big chapter that really is expansive on the kind of thing that you're talking about. So I want you to expand on that a little bit. Um, you, you liken religion, and I, I do want to let everybody know who's listening. Bob isn't talking about Christianity in particular. He really is talking about religion generally and how it functions in society. So this is not a gospel track. This is not the book you want to give to your niece if she's away from the Lord and you think she's going to get saved. It's not that kind of book. It's uh, it's a book that's um, kind of an overview of the impact of religion in general in American society, what might happen if that goes away. But you, you liken it to a load-bearing wall in your house. Uh, why, how did you come up with that illustration, and why why do you think it's important that we think about it that way? Well, I've been I've been had been searching for while writing the book, sort of a, an illustration to figure out how do I explain what this role plays um, when we first actually pitched the book, I wanted to call it Making the World Less Awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a sociologist who says that religion makes the world less awful. It doesn't always make it better, but it, it, mm-hmm. it mitigates a lot of the, the harm that happens in the world. Mm-hmm. And which, you know, is a great title, but my uh, editor thought no one's going to buy that book. So I, <laughs> I did want to, you know, I like the, the new title better, but I wanted to get at that point that, that this is an important thing. And whether you think it's uh, whatever you think about Christianity or any kind of religion, it's it's important. So that's really it came from, and it really came from a, a conversation my wife and I are having. We bought a new house last uh, last year. We moved back up to Illinois from Nashville, mm-hmm. and it, the house is great, but the kitchen is small. And she's yeah. like, "Well, if we just knock out that wall, it'll be great." And I'm like, "Yes, but that's a load bearing wall. We knock out <laughs> that wall, and the roof falls in." <laughs> and I thought that's about it, right? This is we might want to think. You know, you may think. Well, if religion goes away, that's good. Religion is harmful. There are people that religion has been harmful. Sometimes mm-hmm. you know, every group, Christians, Muslims, Jews, they don't always live up to their ideals. Mm-hmm. But if you just take it away, it'll be it'll be like taking a load-bearing wall away. And then there's a gap, and then the roof caves in. Mm-hmm. And so when there's a disaster, there'll be no one there to help. When when people run out of groceries, there's no one there to run the food pantry. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, the, that's one of the big things. I, wanted, I really wanted to get at, so I wanted to get at that point, that, that we're going to really miss that. The other point I wanted to really make is there's a feeling. So so when I started covering religion in the late 1990s, the average church, the median church, had 137 people. The median church today has 65 people. So wow. it's in half. Wow. So the you know, average church has either 65 people or fewer. So that's not very many people. It's hardly anything. It's not many that. people. And so in my career, this this decline has happened. And I think what happens in those congregations is people think, this is our fault. We got the wrong preacher. We got the wrong kind of music. Mm-hmm. We haven't, uh, we've strayed away from the right theology. 
we haven't, you know, we haven't been as welcome as we wanted to. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I want to say is it's not your fault. It's your problem that yeah. things are declining, but there's a whole bunch of outside pressures, changing demographics, changing interest in religion in general, changing interest in institutions, uh, political polarization, uh, all those things are, um, are affecting you. And there's a great line that I really liked from a science fiction book about kind of, it's about older people. And mm-hmm. one of the characters says that when that compared, they described old age this way. It's not one thing after another. It's everything all at the same time. Yeah. So that's what I wanted to tell people. Everything is changing all at the same time. That's why your church is declining. Mm. And if you want to, you know, think about what you do next, you have to understand the context. So you talk a lot about um, the demographic shift that you just mentioned. Um, there's a quote from your book uh, in the review copy that I have. It's on page 13. Uh, listeners, be be aware that sometimes these things change and they don't leave all this stuff in. But it's in here for now, so I'm going to quote it. Uh, we're living in the early days of what Pew Research has labeled the next America, a new nation that differs substantially from its past in profound ways. So you just mentioned demographic changes, and demographic changes are certainly part of this. What all is going to make America different in these profound ways in the next 50 years than it has, say, in the last 50 years? So we have a couple of things going on. So demographics really are. We moved from what is was mostly a white, Christian, and really mostly Protestant nation mm-hmm. that had a, a fairly complementarian view of, of the family that... Um, Leave it to Beaver, brother. Leave it to Beaver, right? That was... Uh, what some people call heteronormative, where you know the opposite sex relations were were normative, and we're moved mm. to a diverse, multi-ethnic, multicultural, uh, pluralistic society that's affirming. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of things happening at the same time. So our ideas about uh, so so you so in the past, if you were building a church, you could the way you built the church is you'd had a church, your members had kids. They brought their kids to church. Those kids learned the faith. Maybe they went away when they went to college, but then they came back. They had kids and came back mm-hmm. to church. Mm-hmm. And you built that. And uh, and because the country was mostly white, most churches were mostly white. Right. Well, biological growth. Biological growth. Right? Yeah. You had biological growth. And then you got you added converts, but really, it was biological growth mm-hmm. is the way that the church has always grown. So that that two things got disrupted. One, people had fewer kids, and second, those kids. Well, three things really. Those kids stopped getting married right away and they had fewer mm-hmm. kids and when they they those kids grew up they didn't necessarily come back to church so you interrupted that cycle and so uh, and in your neighborhood probably people from different ethnicities moved in and churches mm-hmm. necessarily didn't uh, connect with those different ethnicities so that's one thing that's happened then we have the political polarization where people have sorted themselves into kind of like-minded groups then we have this what they call the kind of decline of interest in institutions that in general mm-hmm. uh, that people don't believe in bowling leagues or recreational leagues or clubs or any kind uh, then we have uh, kind of a trust revolution where you if you're looking for the truth you used to you think well I go to the church because the church knows and if I uh, or you look for your leaders now people don't mm-hmm. trust their leaders anymore they go to right. Google they trust themselves more um, there's a great comparison that one of the sociologists I talked to to the kind of disruption in the hotel and 
transportation industry. So, you know, in, in the old days, if you wanted to get a cab, if you were in a strange town, you need a ride. What'd you do? You got a cab, right? You yeah. held the cab. That cab was well, licensed. I, mean, I guess I, I always took a car. I never had that issue. Took a car. Yes. I'm serious. So I think I've ridden in a taxi yes. once in my, maybe twice in my whole entire life. Or if you want to, if you need to stay somewhere, you find a hotel, yeah. right? You, yeah. you know, hotel chain. Now you can do it from an app. So those whole yeah. industries have been disrupted. And those things are affecting them. And then we just had, we've also had technological, political, uh, and sociological change. So really, you know, there's, there's this old, um, sometimes you drive down the highway and you'd see a sign for a, a brand new church. And it'd be like, this is not your grandmother's church. Mm-hmm. And it was the idea they play guitars and they didn't have organs. Well, really... Mm-hmm. Really, every church is your grandmother's church. Your yeah. grandmother and you go to church, and your grandkids don't. <laughs> and if the kids go to church, they're not white kids anymore. They're Hispanic kids, or they're African American, right. or Asian American. So it's a different kind, and they have different views of sexuality and politics than you do. So there's all these kind of changes all at the same time. You're listening to Uncommentary. My guest today is Bob Smetana, and we're talking about, among other things, uh, we're talking about religion in America. Uh, he's got a new book coming out soon called Reorganized Religion, and we're going to get back to that in just a second. But uh, in keeping with the theme of this episode, which is me attempting to do live blurbs, uh, I want to talk to you about something else that I've had kind of going on for a while that will also be part of the Marty Duran uh, Amalgamated uh, Missional Press Books is a small boutique publisher that I've been operating for a while. We've published five books. Bob's actually had a hand in two of those. Uh, I would love to have published this book for you, but I didn't have any upfront money to, <laughs> to take the time to write it. Uh, missionalpressbooks.com. If you're a pastor, you've got a, a bunch of sermons that you really want to put into book form. Uh, if you've got a devotional book that you've been aching to write, if you're a uh, if you're not a pastor, but you've got a, a biography that you want to write or a memoir of something uh, or you've got a cookbook or anything like that that you've had in your mind that you might want that has some kind of uh, angle toward the scriptures uh, and how we reach the world uh, there's a I think there's a contact form on there it's called uh, missionalpressbooks.com and I would love to uh, engage you on that and maybe see you help help see you uh, see your dreams about a book come to fruition. Uh, so, Bob, um, you just talked about how church looks different these days. Um, you have a chapter called The Hamlet Problem. Uh, I, I am not a fan of William Shakespeare at all. And I'm pretty sure I read Hamlet when I was in the ninth grade. And I know that there were witches and I think there was poison involved. No, or was that Romeo and Juliet? Anyway, That's what's, the Hamlet? That's Macbeth. Macbeth. Oh, what's the Hamlet Problem? So the Hamlet problem, it's related to this, this changing of trust. And, and really, um, the idea is this. So uh, this, the sociologist I spoke to, he said that early in his career, he'd get calls from a church that was in decline. And they'd say, should we fire our pastor? So he'd go and he'd check church and he'd look at neighboring churches in the community. And he'd come back and said, you can fire your pastor, but that's not what's going on. Yeah. And the idea was that um, the church... It's not always where it's environment. So it's a little bit of what we talked before. And the Hamlet problem is so they think they're the star of the show. And so that if something's happening in their community, it's all about them and the decisions they make. Mm-hmm. And so he called that the Hamlet problem. And what really is, is that church is part of a community. It's a bit player in a bigger drama. And all the things happening on stage affects you, affects your church. And 
your church has to adapt to those changes rather than mm-hmm. being the driver. And our, our pastors are often taught because of the way churches used to be organized, that they drive things, that the mm-hmm. authority flows from the top down when really they're adapting to the world around them. And so that's a hard thing. So you have people who came to leadership roles. So they, you know, you have people who get 40, 50 years old, they finally became the bishop or the pastor and they're in charge. And then they realize nobody wants to hear from them. Yeah. Yeah. What is, uh, I mean, I think I know what the political problem is, but what do you think the political problem is? I, I think it's this thing they call what's known as um, Liliana Mason, who's a sociologist, calls it uh, affective polarization. That the way to get things done in America is to tell people who to hate. Mm. And then if you figure out who to hate, then you, then that drives people to action. So mm-hmm. those people in that other group, they might have some of the same ideas. Because if you look at a, a whole range of issues, you look at gun control, you look at abortion, you look at uh, what to do about poverty, you look at um, roads, the whole nine yards of, of mm-hmm. our social problems. Most people have a set general sense of agreement, but what they don't want to do is work with the other side because mm-hmm. they are the problem. They're the enemy. So if you drive that, so that comes into a church. So that, And the second part of that is that uh, because we're so polarized, the smallest mistake can make uh, can cause problems for a church. So in yeah. that chapter, I talk about churches run by a pastor named uh, McLean Bible Church on Virginia. Yeah, the pastor is, uh, is well known. David Platt. There was a basically a uh, it was uh, a coup attempt. A, a coup attempt essentially last year, yeah. where people um, where they had an elder election. They've always had the elders reelected, and they weren't reelected. Mm-hmm. And COVID played a role. He'd been talking about race and, and that became a problem. There became rumors that he was trying to sell the building to a mosque. The church didn't follow all the rules on how to, um, in part because of COVID, uh, how on to how do to the do election. the election yeah. and, and the whole thing. But really it was a very small group and they had just redone that election and they've sort of sorted it out. But one of the things that, um, I, I had actually just read this really interesting book that talked about the rule of 17 Mm-hmm. Which is how many people in the church you need to to get rid of a pastor? Seventeen people. Wow! You don't very there's many a book. There's a book about that name. No, it's a, it's a it's it's mentioned in a book called oh, mentioned, Search. Mentioned in a book. Okay. It's about a search for a new pastor. <laughs> it's like and wow, that's a, that's so dangerous. The rule of seventeen: how to get rid of your pastor with just seventeen people. I, that book is going to get written for it for will. sure. You know, so the so the problem is so if you are on the wrong side of politics. So if you're a Democrat, you hate the Dem- you hate the Republicans. If you're a Republican, mm-hmm. you hate the Democrats. And it's very hard to go to church with people that hate you. And, and we saw this with COVID. So the group in particular that's least likely to talk about COVID and vaccinations are white evangelical pastors. Mm-hmm. Not because they think those things are bad, but because enough of their people think it's bad that to talk about them causes enormous headaches. Yeah. So talk about race causes enormous headaches. Talk about immigration. Talk about whatever's going on in your community. It's going to cause enough problems. Talk about the mm-hmm. election. And so you have um, this kind of uh, minefield for people uh, to walk through if you're the pastor. And then mm-hmm. if you're a church member and you disagree with the kind of the way that people assorted themselves in the community, you think, I'm part of this church. And they're like, we love you. And you say, well, I voted for whoever I voted for. And they're right. like, no, we don't love you. Yeah. We hate you. <laughs> or you get up and you say that whatever party is from the devil, which mm-hmm. pastors have said, then you get the mention that, okay, I can't be part of this. So mm-hmm. that people's long-term friendships are shattered over this. 
Mm-hmm. What um, you have a chapter called "Organized Disbelief." I'm really interested in that because it's in a section called "Where Do We Go From Here." Um, so if if the disbelief is getting organized, where are we going from here, Bob? Well, that's a good question. So that chapter is really about what's something called the Sunday Assembly. Um, so one of the, one of the questions is if we um, if we replace organized religion with basically disorganized belief, right, mm-hmm. or disorganized disbelief, um, that's going to cause a big social problem. So there mm-hmm. are folks who say, well, can we get all the benefits of organized religion, the kind of social capital, the relationships, the kind of good works without religion? Mm-hmm. And so one of the one of the attempts to do this is something called the Sunday Assembly, which is basically church for atheists. It had all the church part without the God bits. Uh, okay. It started in the UK. It started out all right, and then it really has faded over COVID. And they really found what what that chapter is. Well, really they had their own is, church split not long after it church. started. <laughs> yes, they had church split. So really, <laughs> one of the problems is that all the benefits from so one of the things that religion does is this. So I, I try to you know I there's all kinds of things about faith. Faith and religion are different, and sometimes religion gets a bad name. Mm-hmm. But I think of faith as sort of the beliefs and the things that energize you, you know, and kind of inspire you. And then religion is the brick and mortars that put those things into those beliefs into action. Okay. And sometimes we think that, you know, so religion gets, you know, sometimes in newer kinds of churches, you say, well, religion is, Christianity is a relationship. It's a relationship, but it's also a religion because there are, there are habits and organizations to put those beliefs into practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, it's very difficult to replace the... So one of the things about organized religion is this. It's organized, right? It gets people together. People congregate. The word congregation comes from the word congregate, which means get people together. So right. You get them together. You tell them to make the world a better place. You collect money. You send them out. You have their phone number to call them and remind them to do this stuff. You have a, a kind of a... A, a way to embody those beliefs, mm-hmm. and it turns out that people who don't who don't believe have none of those things. You can't mm-hmm. replicate all the other stuff without the God part. And what ends up happening for secular folk? Now, you do have secular institutions that do good work. That's not the, the point. But the, the the kind of particular thing that religion does is very hard to replicate without the religion part. And and something else I can't remember what I was going to say. Is, is that is that yeah. why um, it seems like? Uh, and I know uh, I I don't keep up with Richard Dawkins, but I do uh, occasionally run across stuff. Is that why it seems like uh, a lot of atheist organizations are kind of playing catch up on some of this stuff? So it's not like uh, it's not natural for uh, it's not ordinary for atheists to organize themselves to help disaster victims. But when they see yeah. that religious people are doing it, they're like, Hey, we can do that. And we don't have to have religion. So yeah, they, then they organize it. So it's almost like they yeah. they're taking the challenge of saying we can do it without religion. Just, I and mean, you don't need religion to do it when the religious people have been the standard bearers in a lot of these things. Yeah. There's some of that. There's also the other thing that religious or, or secular people, if they do organize in social capital, it's almost all political. Mm. Um, now there are a few. There's a few uh, secular societies. There's one in St. Louis, who have long-standing congregations. They have spent a lot of time working mm-hmm. hard to build it and to build an ethical life. And say if an ethical life is important, and you have important values, you need to have a group of people to do that with. And mm-hmm. we are going to have relationships with them. We need mm-hmm. rituals that bring us together. So they do replicate those kind of things. It's very just very hard. You can't. Re- you just can't replace the good that's that religion does. And religion has problems, but sure. you can't replace that with with disbelief very easily. 
what, who do we want to be in the future as this is changing? Mm-hmm. Do we want to be the people who are there, who run to the aid of our neighbors and are there mm-hmm. when people's lives fall apart? Or do we want to just watch it all burn down? So I really wanted to get at that. And I, and I wanted to kind of, uh, the other, one of the other metaphors I use later on is the church is like a, a gas station on an empty highway, which you might drive by a hundred times. And then it's late at night and your car is breaking down mm-hmm. and you got no gas and you, you, then you see the lights in there and you pull in there and like, okay, I'm going to be okay. And if, but that there's a lot of work to put in a gas station there and keeping the lights yeah. on and keeping yeah. things going so that when people, when people come, come, mm-hmm. come coast to the parking lot and need it, it's there. Come coasting into the parking lot at 1130 at night. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Um, I guess today's been Bob Smetana. His book is Reorganized Religion, The Reshaping of the American Church and Why It Matters. And as you can tell from this conversation, uh, this is going to be different than a lot of the books that have been released recently, of which I'm a fan of a lot of them. Uh, but this is uh, this takes a different approach. It's very uh, it's positive in its outlook uh, on how uh, churches and religion in general in the United States can affect uh, culture uh, in a positive way. So, Bob, you're on Twitter. You're at Bob Smetana, or is your initial in there somewhere? No, it's just at Bob Smetana. Uh, so that's at B O B S M I E T A N A. And he's very active. He uh, tweets out a lot of his own stuff, but he also tweets out uh, stuff that's relevant to the larger congregation about religion. Uh, I also want to remind you if uh, you would like to support uncommentary i mentioned uh, i begged you for your support in the beginning but if you'd like to do that you can go to patreon.com slash uncommentary and that's u-n-c-o-m-m-o-n-t-a-r-y and you can do a monthly gift there for as little as four bucks a month comes right out of your account uh maybe even your credit card i can't remember how it signed up but anyway uh but if you're if you're wigged out by that and you just want to do a one-time thing you can go over to paypal.me slash uncommentary pod and uh, you can give your one-time gift of $40 million uh, through that. Uh, I, I really don't know if you can give that much, but if you can and you want to, I will try to make it happen. Uh, seriously, you can give as little as you uh, want to or as much as you can, and all will be appreciated. Uh, so don't forget to tell people to listen. Don't forget to recommend your favorite episodes and the episodes that you learned the most from. Uh, encourage your friends and family to subscribe as well. Don't just listen once or twice. Subscribe so that every week or almost every week you'll get an episode right in your podcatcher and you can listen to it at your convenience and uh, be informed and encouraged so thanks bob for hanging out i really appreciate it and for bob smatana and myself marty duran we'll see you all next time <music>